Hello, everyone. It's Raquel Ark. It's time to work smarter and feel better together. Welcome back to Your Listening Superpower Podcast, where we explore listening as a superpower that transforms communication into connection, both at work and at home. Listen in on inspiring conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will open your mind about what is possible and give you communication tools for your leadership toolbox that you can use right away. Let's have fun discovering and growing our listening superpower together. Imagine transforming from a shy young child to an award-winning speaker sharing your stories and touching people's hearts in ways that you could not have believed is possible. And you're doing this in your second language, not your native language. In this episode, we will hear Meta Johansson's personal story of her journey from not saying anything to finding her authentic voice. Meta and I used to work together a long time ago in corporate communications, yet it wasn't until many years later when our paths crossed again, and that was when I was preparing for my TEDx talk and I took her speaker trainings course, which helped a lot. She is a highly awarded author, speaker, and consultant, and she's worked in leadership roles for multinational corporations for 15 years, or she did that for 15 years before she founded her company, MetaMind. And this is a training consultancy providing consulting and learning programs on the people side of leadership skills. She's also an author of three Amazon bestsellers and a co-author of two books, um, we'll put them in the link, which are focused on finding your voice and how to move up in your career as an authentic leader. Meta is the founder of the nonprofit Keynote, which is a speaker's, a woman's speaker's directory with a mission to bring diversity to speaking stages around the world. And she has lived in 10 countries outside of her birthplace, Denmark. She considers herself a global citizen and she can speak fluently in four languages. Currently, she calls Singapore her home. In this episode, Meta explains how to listen and connect with your audience. And I know a lot of you out there worry about that when even giving presentations at work. So she gives some tips on how to help the quality of your voice and also ideas for speaking clear, even in a second language. She shares stories about how listening to yourself, being you, and connecting with your audience in an authentic way is the path towards a bigger collective intelligence. Enjoy listening in. So welcome, Meta, to the Listening Superpower Podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with me today. Thanks so much for having me. I look forward to our conversation. Me too. We have a lot to talk about. But to start off with, I would love to know, when did you first notice the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't work? Oh, that's a good question. First, notice the power of listening. I'm sure that has been a long progressive journey. I believe that as a kid, I was quite shy. And that's why 
a lot of people thought I was an amazing listener. <laughs> and it was simply because I was too shy to speak up. And it's quite ironic because now I'm a professional speaker and I speak a lot. That's what I'm paid for. I, I believe that it was a gradual development that I, along the way, figured out that, yeah, listening is one of the things that people appreciate about me. And that I can also use professionally in terms of being a coach. And of course, also in everything I do around training, speaking, listening is the other side of the coin, right? So how in the world did you, how did you turn in from a shy little girl, didn't say much, into someone that is on stages? I mean, how does that, where did that transformation happen where you built the confidence to be able to have a voice. I'm sure that a lot of my confidence was built as part of a maturity process, but also at some point of time, I wanted this change. I wanted to be more confident. I started to travel the world when I was a big teenager, finished high school. Uh, one of the things I did was to hitchhike from Copenhagen, where I was living at the moment, at that moment, hitchhiking to Paris with a friend. I wasn't scared because she had a black belt in karate. So hitchhiking <laughs> was no problem at all. Yeah, so we traveled together on that trip and very much uh, I was also traveling on my own and that gave me the confidence when I could do things in different countries where I barely spoke the language of course I could also do things at home and that was small things speaking up in daily situations and I've always been somebody who's very much driven by purpose uh, adventure a little bit of course but also by purpose and I very quickly found out that if I want the world to be a better place, it's also about speaking up. It's about sharing what the world needs to know in order to be that better place. So I know a lot of what you talk about is what you would call authentic leadership. And I'd like to hear how you describe what you how you describe authentic leadership. I wonder if part of this process of being a certain, let's say, personality, <laughs> growing up a certain way. And then making a decision to change. It's a progression of what does that change mean and where does it take you? And this journey of traveling to countries sounds like it was also a journey of your own self-discovery. Um, I wonder how that's connected. Can you describe authentic leadership and then also connect it to maybe your journey? I'd love to. <laughs> authentic leadership is very much about living according to your values. And this is so important. A lot of the gurus out there on authenticity, they say, yeah, authentic leaders, they live by their values. This is not getting the point. It is not about this is a common characteristics. It's rather this is a recipe for becoming authentic. That is living your personal core values. When you do that, you will feel much more authentic and other people will also perceive you as being a lot more authentic. So if you want to be an authentic leader, if you want to be authentic, feel authentic, be perceived as authentic, the first thing is to do that listening to yourself uh, what is important to me? What drives me? Ask yourself questions that uh, will help you discover what is of core importance to you, your personal core values. So listening to yourself, finding out what are your values, that is where it starts. And what was my journey in order to get to this place? Of course, also traveling to different countries was one of the things because when all of a sudden, like I studied Mandarin Chinese of all things, 
coming to Asia as a young adult also made me realize that, hey, I was in Japan, I was taller as a Dane, being taller, blonder, <laughs> uh, looking very different. There was no way that I could fit in. And not being able to fit in meant that I could just be me. <laughs> I, I didn't have to try and be somebody I wasn't, as we often do, especially during our teenage years. We're so focusing on fitting in. As this young adult, being in Asia, looking very different, there was no way I was going to be successful if I tried to fit in so I could be myself. And that was a very important discovery in terms of authenticity. And in my last job where I totally didn't feel like myself, I took the consequences, I quit and studied, really went back to the drawing board of going back to what I studied when I was doing my MBA program, which was about motivation, engagement. Why was it that I was not engaged at work? What was it, where was it that my motivation was lacking? And it was very much related to this. I didn't feel like me. I didn't feel like I fit into that place. So as a consequence, what was it that I needed in order to feel me, myself? And that's where I went to that discovery journey of listening to myself. What is important to me? What are my inner values, core personal values? And consequently, also designing my life accordingly. That's what I've meanwhile done. I'm living my life according to my personal core values. And that releases a lot of energy because being you just is so much more energy creating. It, it gives you energy rather than draining you when you try to fit in. Can you give me an example of one of your core values and how does that play into your designed life? I'll give you two straight away. It is growth and it is empowerment. I am an absolutely learning junkie. I love going to workshops, doing different courses. I'm probably enrolled in any, at any point of time, I'm enrolled in three different learning programs at the time. Simply, I'm a learning junkie, but it's not just about me. It is also about other people. I want to empower others to be the best versions of themselves. So that growth and empowering together is what ended up in me running a training consultancy where we are creating learning programs for mostly for corporates. We're doing coaching training, mostly leadership training for some of the very large companies that you know out there. I'm just going to loop a little bit back to what you said and then see where this takes us. You talked about listening to yourself and you talked about, you know, just recognizing that you weren't happy. Maybe I don't know if you recognize it was that, that you weren't being yourself at that moment, you know, or if there was a process in that, but something happened and you made a decision and then you went through this, another self-discovery at a later time in life, right? Because there's the one of when you were traveling earlier on to build your confidence and do that. And then there's the second one where it's like the next phase of, of self-discovery and learning how to listen to yourself. Were there people or certain situations that helped you to listen to yourself better? I'm just making the assumption that you didn't do this by yourself. What supported you to be able to listen to yourself? In fact, this was very much a solo journey for me. It was, it was really me wanting to change things. And of course, as, you, as you've also said, it was not happening overnight. This was a longer journey. 
uh, it has been very much driven by I wanted to be di different. So I don't think there were so many people who were essential on this journey. There wasn't one big event um, caused by others that made me realize that I needed this. The big events were, of course, because I was in a different place where I could be myself. That was not something that I realized overnight either. That was simply looking back is how I described that that is what's happened with the job that I was unhappy about, where I thought, I, I just don't feel like me. That was a realization where I thought, I'm not me. I'm not happy. I need to change. Now, of course, there were some people along the way who, changed, uh, who, who supported this process in terms of my husband who said, yes, do what you need to do. But no, it was not really that it came from external parties. And I'm not saying that this in an egoistic way or anything. It's more that I, I do believe that it was something that I was motivated to change. And a couple of external events triggered it. And of course, also having children, <laughs> that is something that makes a big difference in your life as well. Like all your communication skills, as somebody who has been head of corporate comms in the past, professional communicator, you think you're excellent at communications and then you get children and then you're challenged, right? Oh, Still am. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, all the skills you know about effective communication and yeah, you listen, all, you learn to listen, uh, you, you better do at least. Um, you learn to communicate effectively, you, know, you learn to persuade, you learn to enter into challenging conversations. Um, so of course those were also uh, important in that development. So yes, the closest people in my life, they will all have played a role. Um, the biggest driver was for me that I want the change. You want the change. Yeah. And that's, that's great. You know, and to build the confidence to actually go do it. And then to see that, Hey, look what can happen. You know, when you think about the moment you made that decision and the, where you are right now and what's happened since then, um, what do you know now that you didn't know back then? I have learned a lot about how important values are, how important it is to listen to yourself, both in terms of the, for me, that's absolutely fundamental what are the values that drive you? When you have that understanding, there's a lot of other things you, you will also realize where you can listen to your own moods, for instance. What are the triggers? What are some of the triggers that get you boiling mad, right? Hopping mad. What is it that, that triggers you? When you listen to those inner voices and you ask more questions, that is when you find out that your triggers are actually very much linked to your personal core values. One of the values that I haven't described, uh, like the, this empowerment growth, that is one cluster. Another one of my core values is respect. And this is my label for it. It might mean something completely different to a lot of people listening to this. For me, that respect, it's a piece about, I want people to respect my wants and needs. And I also want to do my best to respect your wants and needs. This fundamental value of respect, when that is compromised, oh my goodness. <laughs> 
That is when I really uh, get popping mad. <laughs> that is when I start boiling. That is when there's a big chance of me losing my temper. So if you want to trigger me, uh, just show some disrespect and you'll see how I will react. So yes, there's a lot of that listening that then can be linked to the awareness of what are my core values, what does trigger me. It's back to what are my core values. And you said that asking questions it plays an important role and with triggers that might be connected to your core values. I think that's what you said, right? Can you explain that a little bit more for our listeners to understand how, how does that connect and, and how do questions play a role and perhaps what kind of questions? I have a story that I like to share because it was such an aha moment for me where I had invited friends over for some wine and cheese and, you know, it was a casual thing. I had been working all day, done some shopping on the way back, quickly wanted to chop, chop, chop the vegetables and put out the cheeses and the breads uh, out on the table in the living room. I come back home and I see that the kitchen is an absolute mess. Now, what you need to know is that in our house, it's always been traditionally divided into the boys doing the dishes and the girls doing the laundry. So the boys had not done the dishes. (laughs) And I just went mad. It's so disrespectful. I'm having my friends over and not uh, doing the dishes, so I can't even prepare anything. And the first thing I did was to send my husband an angry SMS. And that's why I thought, okay, what's going on here? Maybe I should ask myself some questions. So I asked myself, uh, it is this labeling technique, right? Of uh, what are the emotions going on inside yourself? And the voices in my head were like, oh, this is so disrespectful. I'm just, they're disrespecting me. And that's when, hang on, I heard this voice and I wanted to challenge that. Am I being disrespected? And in that moment already, my, my temper went a little bit down. Because no, of course not. My husband respects me a lot. In fact, he's really respectful of what I have built up as a career, as an entrepreneur and the nonprofit that I do and the books that I write and all the other uh, things that I do in my life as well. So already at that moment, by asking a question of challenging myself, my emotions were calmed down a little bit. And then you ask a few other questions. There is a seven why technique uh, that is used in business. So ask yourself, why, 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 why? What's going on? What's going on inside of yourself? And um, me asking, is he really disrespectful? What's going on? What's going on? Well, maybe he was just in a rush this morning, didn't know that I was having friends over. Maybe that's simply what's going on. And all of these questions that you're asking yourself help to calm yourself down. So that is one way of asking yourself questions in order to find out what's truly going on inside of yourself. And also, it was a trigger of disrespect (laughs) that got me quite emotional in that moment. Well, I think it's really interesting to notice these triggers happen to all of us. And often we just kind of react and don't. And then afterwards, like, what did we do? But we don't take that moment to just stop, pause before going too far. And then I see that as getting curious with yourself. Absolutely. That curiosity is key. It's curiosity with yourself and maybe to also expand upon what you said just now about asking questions. 
in general, asking questions is so important when you want to listen, when you truly want to hear what's going on, to understand what's going on. Asking the right questions. In this case, we talked about asking yourself the questions. Another thing is when you're asking other people questions, asking questions that are non-leading, open-ended questions, non-leading, non-judgmental, open-ended will get you so much more information. I live in Singapore and of course this is a podcast, you might not be able to see what I look like. I'm blonde, blue eyes, I definitely don't look like I was born in Singapore. And when I step into a car here, the first question I get from that, uh, from the taxi driver or uh, the Ubers, the Grabs of this world, often it is, where are you from? And I know I shouldn't, but I almost get annoyed with that question because I feel that it's a selfish question. You want to put me in some kind of box so that you can, uh, you can be satisfied, right? It's almost a selfish question. It's not a curiosity question about me. It's not about wanting to find out more about who am I as a person, at least not on the level that I want to interact with people with. It's a very superficial level. And you can very quickly turn it around simply by saying, what brought you here? Simply by turning it around from where are you from, which is a very closed question, because there's only one true answer to that. And saying instead, what brought you here? That is an open-ended question where I can tell loads of different questions. Of course, yeah, there is a main reason why I came here. Uh, I, I can still tell that story in many different ways. And when I'm in storytelling mode, all of a sudden we're discovering those things that we might have in common. We're into a complete different quality of conversation. When I'm coaching people, I often also talk about this, turn on your people curiosity switch. And it sounds absolutely ridiculous and I'm never ashamed of repeating it. Turn on your people curiosity switch. It's a difference between going into, for example, a networking event. There's lots of different people. You haven't met them before. If you're thinking, oh God, I got to network with strangers. I got to, oh, ah, those silly questions of same questions over and over again. If you change your mindset, you turn on your people curiosity switch. You simply say, I'm going to discover something interesting about at least one person in this room today. You're asking different quality questions. You're asking questions such as, what is important to you? What brought you here? What was the best thing about this conference so far? What made you work in for this company, if it's a company event? Or what made you work in accounting? What made you study? Whatever it is. Those high quality questions that are open-ended, that provoke stories, that allow the other person to tell stories. I can tell you, I've had such animated conversations in those cars, in those taxis, when the taxi driver simply starts a conversation by asking me, what brought you here? Instead of, where are you from? Well, I love the question, what brought you here? Because it is, it's, um, it's, a, it's asking for the story and it's asking for the journey. You know, did you know, just a little, a little you know, factoid, since you like to learn so much, <laughs> that, which may not surprise you because of, because of what you do, um, but when people share stories, it's easier for people to listen to them. That's why in public speaking, sharing stories is, is so important. But like right there, if you, there's someone that you're with and you're worried about being able to listen to them, to find a way to ask a question that helps them tell the story instead of describing something helps you to listen to people you may normally have a challenge to listen to. <laughs> 
Absolutely. So. I love it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And that's that, that uh, people with the people curiosity switch. I love that word. <laughs> Turn that on. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I find that curiosity helps me to neutralize myself. You know, if, if I'm worried about something or I get triggered, if I can try to switch and get curious, then it helps me neutralize myself, neutralize that trigger. Um, and then I'm able to respond better more than to react. That's actually, I, I feel a physical change then. I, I absolutely love that. Helping, it helps you neutralize yourself. Yes, uh, that is what it does. It's taking you a little bit out of the equation. And the way what I hear in this is also, we're so much focused on sharing our stories and we want to be heard and respected and understood. And for that, sometimes we squeeze in things and we're preparing what to say, uh, just to make sure that we also have a space in this, that we deserve our spaces. Um, and yes, those questions, they do help neutralize yourself where you can simply be that curious mind and, and, and not come in there with any preconceived notion of what the situation has to be, what that person has to be. So I absolutely love that expression. You know, so let's just take that a notch further. I mean, you give, you're a public speaker and you, you know, I know you do small groups and huge groups. You, you do, you do huge groups. How do you listen to your audience when they, when you're speaking, especially to larger groups? So maybe there's a few little, I know there's probably a lot more, but maybe a few little basic tips just for some foundational stuff for people who might be listening that have to do this, you know, presentations at work in a larger audience. Um, and I mean, I know there's in person, but also online is a struggle for many today. <laughs> so maybe you have a few ideas or a few tips for people to help people listen to them. Absolutely. Online is so much more difficult to listen to people because listening is, of course, not just listening to the words. It's listening to the entire body language. It's, it's listening to the reactions of it's, it's observing people as a whole 360 degrees uh, listening, so to say. And that becomes a lot more difficult online. Sometimes you see those black little boxes on Zoom with the name in it, maybe. Sometimes you don't see anybody when you're a keynote speaker uh, at a larger event. You might not see anybody apart from your own little picture there. And that green dot, that's a camera on, on my iMac that I'm looking into. So listening to crowds when you are in a big room, it is a lot about observing the body language, of course. And it's also about asking questions. When you're asking questions to the audience, you might not wait for the audience to answer every single time, but simply asking questions. People tend to react much more when you're asking questions. When you ask a question about how would you have done that? How do you perceive this? Simply asking the, uh, the, the, the question to the audience, you already see their eyes wander up to think, and then you already know, okay, this was the right question. They are thinking about this. And if there's no reaction, well, you know that maybe you're not connecting with the audience right at that moment of time. So yes, absolutely. Asking questions, observing the audience are some of the ways that you can listen in that moment. And the listening, of course, starts... It, it, the preparation to the listening needs to start a lot earlier before you go in there. Who's your audience? What do they want to know? What's in it for them? That what's in it for them is so essential and it's forgotten. If, if we simply go to a situation that's probably relevant for everybody listening to this, when you're presenting at work, 
are you making sure that you know what the audience wants or needs to hear? Are you focusing in on what's in it for them? Because very often we're focusing more on, oh, this is what I need to communicate. And that does not allow you for any listening. If you're just focusing on me, 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 back to what you said about neutralizing yourself. It's not neutralizing yourself. That's focusing 100% of yourself. How can we make sure that we make it relevant for the others? That is also, that goes hand in hand with listening to me. I notice also it's really, you're, you have a very pleasant voice. And it's pleasant to listen to you even now. And I'm, I'm sure I'll get that feedback from when people listen to this podcast. And I was wondering, um, what about your use of voice? Thank you very much for that compliment. Uh, <laughs> hard work, I must say. Do work on your voice. Uh, Morgan Friedman said that the reason for his sexy voice, his bedroom voice, is that he yawns a lot. And I've just had a cold, so my voice is actually not that great right now. I do yawn a lot as well. I try to remember in the morning to be in the bathroom and simply stretch my arms out to both sides, up and down, diagonally, and have a big yawn. So yawning a lot helps your voice a lot. So those are a couple of voice exercises I've learned from some voice coaches. I am not born with some miraculous voice. I had to work on getting a speaker's voice, a voice that's good enough for being a public professional speaker. And it is work that is worthwhile for every single person out there. It's worthwhile to, to practice your voice. It makes a difference whether people want to listen to you, whether you have that pleasant voice, as you're saying, soothing voice, or whatever voice it is that you need for, for, for your occupation, for, your, um, for do, what you want to get across. Worthwhile getting a voice coach. Oh, and by the way, one more thing that's excellent. One of the things that I've done when, I ha when my kids were small, reading to them at night, and then when the wicked witch came in, you you change your voice and the emperor who walks stately down, you know, you know, just making sure that you're making an absolute fool out of yourself. The kids love it. And it's great voice animation practice. So anybody who has kids out there or borrow some kids, read stories to them. It's great practice for having a much more, having much more variety in your voice. Yeah. That's a great, that's great. Tip. Well, I think I used to be pretty good at that. My, I don't read to my teenager anymore. So I, I need to find someone else to read to. Yeah. <laughs> I need to adopt some small kids. That's right. <laughs> or, or just read to myself then. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know, one of the things I, you know, we've known each other actually for quite some time in different contexts. One of the things that you do, you said that you really care, you, you're very passionate about, you know, many different things. But one of the things that you're really passionate is about giving, um, how would you say this, diverse voices a stage. Absolutely. Which means, which means you know, that there's, that there's people on stage, not only certain voices, but you have so many different voices out there. So what you're doing to me in my mind is that you are helping diverse voices be listened to in different perspectives and different stories and things that otherwise would not be heard. And so maybe you can explain a little bit about what you do with um, Keynote Women, since we'll, we'll put a link at the, you know, for the audience for that. But I, I'd love to hear it from you to describe that and what was the spark to want to 
get diverse voices on stage to be heard. First, I want to comment on how our path has crossed a couple of times. This is one of the things I find so amazing in life that you meet people in one context and all of a sudden you meet in a completely different context and still you have a lot of common with that person for one or the other reason. I find that's um, such an interesting part of life of yeah discovering people in in very different situations and still seeing how much you have in common with them back to keynote women speakers keynote women speakers is a community of women who are speakers we have a directory online keynotewomen.com where women are listed you can book them to speak at your events and more importantly also we are a community of women who are inspirational speakers experts in their fields and who are also supporting each other on this journey of bringing more diversity to speaking stages we're on a mission to bring more diversity to speaking stages and what i like also to stress is i live in singapore white uh, singapore is majority not white and i don't want to replace the majority of men speaking on stages with women who are looking like you and i it's more about having that entire bandwidth of color women from all um, all walks of life uh, looking very differently thinking very differently we want that diversity on stage as well and sometimes some challenge why not focus on other minority speakers as well. I'm very convinced if we are getting brown women, black women, whatever color women on stage, then their male counterparts will also have a, an opportunity to speak on stages. So yes, it's about bringing diversity to speaking stages so that people can listen to all those diverse voices. We're not doing it simply for the sake of the women that we think that, oh yeah, we want to be, uh, we want to have our ego shown and be up on stages. No, it's not that at all. It is about diversity increases group intelligence. By having more diverse voices out there that we can hear, we are able to come to superior conclusions. We can get better decisions if we listen to more diverse voices. So that is what Keynote Women Speakers is all about, to make sure that we are increasing group intelligence. Everybody stands to benefit. I love it. And I, and, you know, I've met uh, quite a few of the, the women, you know, just mainly online. I'd love to meet them in person someday. Maybe we'll, we'll manage that. But really amazing people with amazing, amazing stories and, and lots of energy, lots of energy. So really, really love the, I love the space that you've created there. It's, you know, very welcoming. And so if there's some women listening here or inspired to speak, you know, where to also check out, you know, to join the community. I know we're ta- I'm taking, that's a big thing on stage, but you, let's take this in, down to micro. Just, just, you have women of all different cultures and they probably get, do um, speak also in their own language, but a lot of these women are speaking in a second language and that's English, right? You know, in, in, the work that I do in, you know, working with multicultural teams in the business world, I often get people feeling insecure because they're working in their second language. And, and I feel the same way when I'm in German, you know, I'm a little bit because I can't speak as clearly or I'm not as strong, you know, as as I, I can be in English. 
even though I've over time, I've realized, hey, it's about being understood more than being perfect. <laughs> and sometimes not being perfect gives permission for other people to not be perfect. And so finding the power in that. But bringing back, even today, I had a person who was asking, you know, about her accent, and she was worried about it because she was worried she wouldn't get promoted if she doesn't change her accent, even though I found that she spoke very clear. She And so I was just curious um, if there's any tips or advice or any thoughts on people who are trying to work in their second language and, um, and the insecurity that they have. It's a big topic for my business as well. I do leadership development, I do coaching, and I regularly get this from my coaches as well in terms of I speak with an accent, my grammar is not perfect, and I say exactly what you already hinted at. It's about being understood. If you're being understood, if you can make yourself understood, then you're good. We are living in a world that is becoming more and more international. We have English as the main language that connects us all. It's the language that's spoken in the business world. And unfortunately, there are some companies, it's, it's mainly, in my experience, it's mainly US-based companies who are focusing very much on wanting to neutralize some of the accents. The very big American companies, they don't appreciate as much that people can be very well understood, even if they are making grammatical mistakes. Living in Asia, having lived here for 23 years, I am very surprised about people who are coming from a country where English is spoken as the first language and then complains about how people speak English in Asia. You are in Asia, so yes, um, get yourself used to it as well. Um, one of the funniest things, well, it's, it's rather sad than funny, this leader who came to say to me, yeah, you know, uh, these uh, uh, Indians and uh, Vietnamese and Koreans, they're just so difficult to understand with this broad, broad Danish accent saying that the locals here in Asia are difficult to understand. And I responded, you have an accent too. And that might also be difficult to understand for some people who are not used to this accent. Of course, if you're not used to a Chinese, Korean, uh, Japanese, Vietnamese, uh, whatever accent it might be, yes, it can be difficult. And I also do urge people to work on making sure that some things that you do practice to be as clear as possible. I don't want to kill accents. I, I find accents very charming. At the same time, it is about, are you understood? There are some very easy tips for pronouncing an R, for instance. We had a Japanese au pair girl when we lived in Germany for a while, and she was taking our kids to a speech therapist. So our kids, they, I don't know what issues they had. They, they went to a speech therapist for a short time. Of course, also being born in Asia, speaking English as a first language and a bit of Mandarin Chinese and quite a bit of, of Japanese and having to learn to speak German in Germany, they, they went to a speech therapist. And one of the things they had to learn, <laughs> this is quite funny, was to say the R because that was not as the German R was not as 
uh, common in the language that they had spoken so far. And our Japanese au pair, who we had with the girl uh, at the time, she was bringing them to the speech therapist. And she was so delighted when she got back because she had found out how to pronounce the R as well. <laughs> After one session, and all she needed to do was to take a straw, put it into a glass of water, put the tip of your finger on top of the straw so that when you pull the straw out, there's a little bit of water left out in the straw. That you then put in your mouth and you gargle with a tiny little bit of water. That teaches you how to say the German R. <laughs> I'm happy you like it. It's as easy as that. She could pronounce the R afterwards. We focus in our language education very much on uh, vocabulary, grammar. It's a shame that we don't f focus a little bit more on pronunciation because that's small things. They have nothing to do with accents because you can still have your charming native accent and say an R that is understood uh, so that you are understood better uh, by others, right? So, so, so I do believe that there's definitely a responsibility on both parties. Make sure that... If you're told that I have difficulties understanding you, try also a speech therapist. There are some people who can help you back also to that I've worked on my voice. There are some things that take very little, little effort and they make a big difference in our communication. Now, there's also the responsibility of if you are working in an international community, try to get used to the accents as well. Yeah. And I found that like with different accents, the more I'm around people, the more I understand it. So, you know, I don't have as many problems understanding all these different accents. I mean, I'm, it's more whether someone talks too fast or they might garble some words or, you know, things like this, but then, then, then they can work on that for sure. Exactly. But I love this idea of doing a speech therapist. I hadn't thought about that. That's a great idea. I know that my son, um, he also had to go to a speech therapist because <laughs> only uh, in German, the S is like butterfly is schmetterling and he was saying smetterling which is an american accent and they made him go to speech therapy because he had a lisp yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm like okay he would not have a lisp in the u.s he does have a lisp in germany you know hey um hey guys uh, accents are cultural and some of these thing ideas we have are very cultural they're not actually yeah. <laughs> it's just a different way of approaching and different perspectives yeah. but anyway that's that's a great idea just to get enough to get clear and maybe there's some tips that actually would be helpful if there are some some letters that make a difference um and and, and if you're understood don't worry about it yeah um, uh, appreciate the different accents that are out there it's yeah. not if if your accent is going to be uh, critical for getting a promotion then you're not at the right company <laughs> right exactly <laughs> oh hey so meta is there anything that i haven't asked you that you would love for me to ask you i believe that we have spoken about so many different things um, to me to sum it up listening is very much starting with asking the right questions that are causing the other person to to tell stories to tell more about themselves it is about you said neutralizing yourself i call it turn on your people curiosity switch be curious and yeah listen to yourself also in order to understand yourself better to be a better human being to be to be authentic, to live an authentic life, to be authentic to other people. 
And through that, you'll have this authentic voice that people will love to listen to, <laughs> no matter the accent. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yes. Well, it was really a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, we'll put the different websites to your website and to Keynote and to all the other links um, in the notes um, below. And it was really a pleasure to have you on this podcast, on the Listening Superpower podcast. It's been an a very big honor and a pleasure to be here, Raquel. You have just enjoyed your listening superpower podcast, where we dive into how to work smarter and feel better at work and at home. This is an independent show, so please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends. Also, if you or somebody you know has experienced listening superpowers being put into practice, email me at listeningsuperpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine one seven three two three four zero seven two two. If you want your team to grow their listening superpowers, you can find more information at listeningalchemy.com. I'm your host, Raquel Ark. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Cecilia Mercado, for your amazing podcast production, Dorta Streicher for your impactful artwork, and Evo Tiemann for your inspiring music. It's been fun and see you guys on the next episode.